1: It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hi, everyone. This week on 30 with Murdy, I chat with actor Nick Taturo. Nick is most well known for his role as Detective James Martinez on NYPD Blue for seven seasons. Starting in 1993, Nick was nominated for two Emmy Awards for that role and won a SAG Award with the cast for Best Ensemble. He's appeared in dozens of other projects, too, on film, TV, a native New Yorker, and a big, super-crazy Yankees fan. His brother John Turturro is also a very accomplished actor, and John's actually in one of my favorite movies of all time, Quiz Show, the Robert Redford-directed film about the game show scandal in the late 50s. I got to meet Nick about 12 years ago when he appeared in Adam Sandler's remake of The Longest Yard and have spoken to him enough over the years to get a feel for his passion as a baseball fan. I thought he'd make a real interesting conversation, uh, and he sure did. Among the highlights of our talk, Nick discussed his career as a doorman at the St. Moritz on Central Park South. Right next door used to be Mickey Mantle's restaurant, where in the early days of WFAN, Ed Coleman and Dave Sims used to host live broadcasts. Uh, imagine their surprise when the guy who used to watch their cars while they did their show went on to become a TV star. Some fun memories from Nick that also features some stories with Mickey Mantle and Billy Joel. Nick has some great stories about being at Yankee Stadium for some memorable games. You'll hear that, too, as well as a harrowing, harrowing tale uh, that I'd never heard before about the 1994 Northridge earthquake in L.A., Some riveting details from Nick about this one. Nick will also talk about his new project called Over the Hill and where we might see that in the near future. It was my pleasure to have Nick Turturro spend a little over 30 with Murdy. My first question to everybody, Nicky, is what can you tell me about the first baseball game you ever went to?
2: first baseball game I ever went to was uh, 1973. No, actually, that's the first Yankee game. The first baseball game I ever went to I believe it was in 1972 at Shea Stadium. And the funniest thing about that game that I remember, I don't know who the Mets played. I was new to baseball because my family wasn't baseball fans. My brother, John, was a basketball, boxing fan. My father loved boxing. So we grew up, I actually was a pretty good point guard. I just didn't grow, but I was a good point guard. But baseball, I started watching a little bit in 71. I remember on NBC, I remember the World Series. I remember the Orioles playing the Pirates and I saw Roberto Clemente. So I started to watch baseball a little bit. I didn't even know how to play baseball. You know, a couple of my friends who were, who were Puerto Rican, whatever they they, they, they they taught me a little bit. And I went to a Met game in 72 and I was afraid of heights. I was definitely afraid of heights. And when I was with a bunch of kids, and I was sitting in the mezzanine. They had no idea how many fears I had. All, I had All kinds of fears. <laughs> I had fear of heights. I had fear of going to the bathroom. I mean, I had, I, these, these were real fears. I mean, we went to a Nick game where I was crying and my mother had to take me and my brother down. So I was at the Met game and it was windy and I was in the blue mezzanine, which was pretty high. And I was panicking. And all my friends were laughing, giggling. I'm holding on to the seat. Wow. I mean, I couldn't even enjoy the baseball game. So that was my first uh, introduction to a baseball <laughs> game. I just remember telling these guys, please take me down, please. And for whatever reason, they, you know how kids are, they mean. Yeah, like when I was yeah. afraid to go in the pool, I would hold on to the side and everybody would try to get me off the side. Oh. So I think they left me up there for a while before we ever like snuck down or something, because back in those days, you would buy a dollar fifty, a dollar thirty, whatever the grandstand seat was, and you would run around, find a seat, and then the usher would say, Hey kid, get up. Mm-hmm. And you would yeah. you would just keep looking for seats because it wasn't like today. It was a different world. Yeah. That was my first game. I don't remember who the Mets played. But I definitely wasn't a Mets fan because when I yeah. went to the, the old Yankee Stadium in seventy three, the next year, I walked in with the Boy Scouts of America and uh, I was just like blown away by the smell, by the look of the ballpark. And the Yankees weren't that great back then. Uh, they had Bobby Mercer, they had Thurman Munson. They were they were kind of a fun team to watch. And I just, I don't know what it was, but I wound up going to a lot of games that year. I went to bat day. I went to, I, I remember, uh, I went to, I think, uh, hat day or ball day. And I started going to the Bronx. I was from Queens, which I really should have been a, a yeah, Mets fan yeah. by landscape. But I just fell in love with the Yankees and started to educate myself. But I, I remember the Met game being afraid of heights, but that was it. Yeah. And I do remember going to Yankee Stadium a lot in 73. I, did, I didn't go to the final game where everybody went with hammers and nails. And
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I wish I, wish I would have, but I'm really sad that they, I only got to go one year to that stadium yeah. because that was something
1: else. Well, if I'm not mistaken, you I think you've told me that you were at the the first big moment in the remodeled stadium was the Chris Chambliss game in 76. You were there, weren't you?
2: Yes, I was there, but that was the renovated that was the reopening of yep. Yankee Stadium for 74, 75. They played at Shea.
1: Yeah. What do you remember so, uh, about the craziness of that of that moment with Chambliss hitting the home run that wins the pennant in 76?
2: Oh, that was that was an that was an insane game, insane night. I'll never forget where I was, I was down the left field line. How old were you at the time? Friend. I was in high school. Okay. I was—I think I was a freshman in high school at St. Agnes Cathedral in Long Island. And I remember my mother let me go because my friend Anthony and Gracia got tickets that day. His father had connections, and his father was an accountant. And he called me up and he was like, "Totoro, we're going." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." And it was supposed to be me and Gracia and this guy Louis Alvario. And 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 Louis Alvario's father loved baseball, but wouldn't let him go to the game that night. And I said, "You you can't go." And he was like, "No, no, my father said I can't go." I said, "I said how how could he say no? This is you know this is a new thing. I mean I'd never been to a game like that of that. Who knew that it was going to be that kind of moment? Yeah. I didn't know that it was going to be that wild. And I think the ticket was like eight bucks. I think I have the ticket somewhere. And I think it was $8. We were down the left field line. And all I know is when he hit the ball, uh, you know, the whole place rose and I dove from like left field near the foul pole. And I was running with a euphoria that was like, I mean, it was like almost unbelievable, the most, almost unbelievable out of body, like, like you, you came out of your body. You know, I, I can't tell you the euphoria of running and then ripping out grass and running with the turf in my hand. And I had to make a one o'clock train, I remember, because if I missed the one yeah. o'clock train back to Rosedale, <laughs> I was stuck till 4 a.m. <laughs> but it, it was uh, it was like probably the greatest Yankee moment, I, it, as great as the Reggie game was, and I was at that game too.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but the, the Chambliss moment was like, that was like the uh, the crowning moment of being like, I'd only been a fan like three years, four years, but I felt like I was a, a Yankee fan for life. And it was a, just a marvelous night. All, I think mean, like, the Yankee season should have ended. You know, cause, you know, yeah. we, we got swept. Got swept. We, yeah. now, that swept, our That was our highlight. That was like, and then the freaking National League and the Reds embarrassed us. But I still, I don't even care about that. That was almost like comparable to 2003, the Aaron Boone. In a lot of ways, mm. when you have a moment that high, you, you're you flat as a button. You can't get yeah, higher yeah. than that. And for that team, that was their... That was like when the Mariners beat the Yankees. That was their World Series. It happens, And and that was an incredible moment, man. That was a great game. Mickey Rivers had a great game. Freaking George Brett hits a home run. Yeah. Freaking George Brett. I Man, <laughs> I couldn't stomach him. He hit a home run <laughs> off of Grant Jackson. Uh, I remember specifically.
1: Did right you off the did, you, you, you didn't get hit. anywhere near Chambliss during your whole when you got onto the field, you anywhere near the infield and Chambliss no, and all players, did you? No,
2: no, I was nowhere God. near the infield. I was on my way from the outfield. I was if you see highlights of people running mm-hmm. in packs from mm-hmm. the outfield, yeah. I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. So in what fact did I you... found a picture of myself in Sports Illustrated, because really? I had like a green coat and I had an orange hood. Wow. I was like, there I am in skinny legs. I was like, that's me. I remember, <laughs> showing, I remember showing people. Because they were like, Nick is on the field. That's and, great. And, and everybody was cursing out Howard Cosell. I was, You know, I, I think everybody was like looking up at Howard Cosell <laughs> and saying things to Howard. You know, it, it was a different world back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was a different, it really was a different game. It's, it's not as, it doesn't have the same bite or same edge today uh, as it did in the 70s. Do you uh, and, uh, did,
1: did you did you remember what you did with the grass that you took or anything like that?
2: Oh no, I planted it in my backyard. <laughs> in my backyard, and, yeah, it was a true story. I planted it in my backyard, and I had a I had a Yankee pennant, I had a little turf there, and actually, I was telling that story once when I was newly on NYPD Blue, and the creator David Mills goes, uh, "Is that true, Nikki?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "Can I use that?" I use? <laughs> and they actually used a little bit of it, and uh, and you know, I I said, "Yeah, I don't care if you want to." You want to take the story a little bit, and he actually implemented a little bit of
1: that in the storyline. That's fantastic. Before we oh, get to before great, we get man. to how you got to NYPD Blue, you had a job um, as a valet at the St. Moritz, and one of the guys you parked cars for was Ed Coleman?
2: Yeah, no, I was a doorman. Okay. I, was not, I wasn't a valet. I was the doorman of the St. Moritz on the park, and... Uh, I used to like 59th Street, you know, 59th Street, it's like one of, one of the famous streets in New York, Central Park South. I was right on the corner of Sixth Avenue. It was a very famous place actually for the Yankees. I had no idea the history, mm-hmm. Billy Martin, Mickey Mantle, who were big drunks, <laughs> but they used to hang out there. Yeah. And they lived there and they caroused there. So there was a lot of history with old Yankee players in the St. Moritz. It's just funny that I wound up at the St. Moritz. Yeah. I got this job. Actually, it's a funny story how I got the job through, through this I was a Bellhop one summer, and I loved the money, but then I went back to school, and I was missing the money. And then when I was looking for a job, I called the St. Moritz, and I asked for the general manager. It was the same general manager who hired me at the Harley Hotel. And, and he said, you know, they said, well, who are you? And I said, Nick Turturro. And they said, well, what company are you from? And I, I had to use my father's company because my father worked you know, built an apartment for the guy.
0: Mm-hmm. He
2: was in construction. So the guy Flaherty gets on the phone thinking it's my dad. He goes, Hi, Nick, how are you? You know, yeah. so I had to lower my voice. And <laughs> I, ba- I basically said, You know, do you remember my son? Oh, yeah, sure. He goes, You know, he goes, Well, he's looking for a little something. So he said, Well, I'll send him over. So this guy Flaherty, who was like a sharp guy, sharp Irish guy, he hired me. My father was dying laughing. I said, I got food the Flaherty's dad. He said, yeah? How? I said, I told him I was you. You told him that you were you were me? You know, because he was Nick Totoro the first. Uh, I'm Nick Totoro Jr.
0: Because we'd
2: always have a running gag about senior and junior. My father was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. He didn't know he was like, he'd get the mail and he'd say, are you junior? And I'd say, yeah. He goes, because I'm senior.
0: Because you're
2: junior, right? I go, yeah, I'm junior. He would say this 25 times. <laughs> I, and he, he goes, because I'm senior. Just remember, you're Junior, right? I go, yeah, I'm Junior, Dad. Make sure you put Junior, Junior. <laughs> I go, okay. <laughs> so it worked in my favor, you know, using his name that time, yeah. but um where am I? So yeah, I was a doorman, part-time doorman at the St. Moritz, then I became a full-time doorman. So I used to run the street. I used to say i mm-hmm. run the street, but 59th Street South, and they had Mickey Mantles, yep. and they started doing, um a live talk show there. I think it was WFAN. Yes. I wasn't even a WFAN fan. Then. Okay, but Ed Coleman. And who's the other guy? Dave Sims,. Yep. these guys used to show up with like, you know, not the greatest cars. I like to watch good cars. You know? But I liked the guys. They were nice guys. And they used to, you know, they used to tip me five, 10 bucks, I would let them put the car in the hotel loaning zone. Because basically, I could, I could control uh, the cops if it was in my, you know, uh-huh. that's how I used to make extra money. So I watched their cars and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think when I started my little acting career, I I started telling Eddie and those guys, hey, I did a play, hey, I was in a movie. Because I I had kept my job while I began my career, like uh, the first couple of years of my acting career. I was still a doorman. So, uh, yeah, I do remember that. In fact, I might have even gone on the air once with Eddie, one of those guys. Because I did a play. I did these plays with Boom Boom Mancini. And uh, Ray was trying to be an actor. We did these funny plays in the village. And I think, you know, since Ray was a celebrity, I think, uh, you know, um, Eddie or uh, Dave might have had me on the show. I might have came out. I mean, I have to watch a lot of the games from the window. Yeah. A lot of times they'd say, Where's the doorman? And they'd say, You see the guy watching the baseball game? That's your <laughs> doorman. <laughs> I, I would literally be in front of Mickey Mantle, or sometimes I'd be down by the plaza. They would have arrows like pointing, like they check. People would check in. They'd say, Where's the doorman? they say, That guy down the block. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: <laughs> I, I used to leave my post for various reasons, you know.
1: I, but uh, I it, remember, was, it,
2: was, it was really a fun job.
1: I remember Eddie Coleman telling me one time that he, uh, he's sitting watching TV with his wife and he's watching NYPD Blue and he sees you on. He's like, Wait a second. I think that's Nikki who parks my car, watches my car, <laughs> Nikki <and Mickey> Mantle's.
2: <laughs> uh, that's very funny because. When I first got on NYPD Blue, Dennis Franz comes up to me. And and I didn't know Dennis, even though he was a TV star uh, from Hill Street Blues. And I used to stop everybody. And one time I stopped one of his buddies, Joe Mm Montana. My brother was up and coming then, my brother John. And I I used to talk to people and I'd ask them, do they know who my brother is? And I think I stopped Joe Montana one time and uh, introduced myself. The guy must have had a good memory. Because, you know, sometimes you, you remember a guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so when I was newly on Blue, I was, you know, I was a nervous wreck. I was just like, oh, man, I hope, I hope, I'm you know, all these guys were seasoned guys. And I could tell I was like in the big leagues, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, it was like you're in the minor leagues, then you get a call up <laughs> and you go, wow, I hope I can hang. It really was the big leagues for me and, and for anybody. Because it was like the top writers, the top directors in television. And Dennis comes up to me with that Chicago accent. And he's like, hey, Nikki. He goes, uh, were you ever a doorman? <laughs> I go, he goes, cause a buddy of mine swears you were a doorman. Joe Mantegna. I said, yeah, I was, I, said, I actually stopped Joe. And he was like, yeah, cause I think he remembers you cause I met that kid in the street.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, you know, I met some ball players too. I remember I met Cone, I met uh, Andy Hawkins. I mean, I met, I met, I met the world out there. I met a lot of athletes. Uh, mm-hmm. Entertainers, I became good friends with Billy Joel. I was actually mentioned in Billy Joel's book that I was a struggling young actor. Billy Joel loved me, he wrote a whole album there. And uh, when he met Christy Brinkley and his first date, I was with him on his first date. Wow. I mean, I was coaching him, you know, yeah, like, you were right there, yeah. I was coaching him. He was like, he was like, Who should I go out with, El McPherson or Christy Brinkley? I was like, Well, you can't lose, Bill. You know, he was like, He was, he was so excited, and I was like, that was so, What are you so excited? I said, You're Billy Joel you're Billy Joel, man. And he was like, yeah, you're right, you're right. Like, forget these girls. I said, yeah, remember who you are. <laughs> you know, he, was like, he, he loved me, he'd come down, sometimes I'd have 20 people waiting for a cab. Everybody would start screaming because I would put Billy in the front. I'd say, hey, 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 take it easy, it's Billy Joel.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to see me in action. I mean, I was, I, I mean, I, I had like a whole routine. It was, it was pretty funny. It
1: so was pretty funny. So did you, um, you the St. Moritz, uh, you mentioned the history it has with Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle's restaurant in Central Park South was right next door. And Mickey used to go in there quite a, you know quite a bit. Did you ever have any interactions with, uh, with Mantle during that time?
2: Yeah, one, one morning about 7 o'clock. On the weekends, I used to work like 7 to 3.30. Weekdays, I'd work 3.30 to 12. So I'd come out one morning. I used to come out 7 a.m. Saturday morning. You know, the only thing that's out there is pigeons and the horse and carriage. <laughs> and I'm over there, seven o'clock in the morning, like, you know, you're kind of half asleep. You get your coffee, just to put my coffee in my box. And, and there's a guy pitching pennies against the wall. I turn around, cause you never know who the hell you were going to meet there. I turn around, I was like, holy, holy mackerels. It's a, uh, it's Mickey Mantle. And I was like, wow. And he's over there, you know, he's like, I didn't want to be like too, cause I heard he had kind of a, at times, I'd heard stories. He wasn't always the nicest guy. Maybe mm-hmm. sometimes he was drunk, and yeah. kids would ask him for his autographs. So I didn't want to be too come on too strong with him. But we talked a little bit. I remember, you know, he was waiting for some lady or something. Then I was asking him. I said, you know, what, what do you think about the ball players today, Mickey? You know, versus when you played? You know, he goes, well, you know, because they're bigger, stronger, faster. You know, he was kind of complimenting the guys in that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus when he played. But uh, I was looking at him and I was just like, I was kind of blown away just to be, it was Mickey, me and Mickey Mantle pitching pennies. I was like, <laughs> wow, this is, who would who would have thought it? You know, I was like, I mean, like you never knew who I was gonna be next. To. like one time I watched John Gotti's car. I was wow. like, wow, John Gotti came out. He was like bigger than any movie star. And you know, it's like, I met, I met so many people there. It was just like, it was crazy. I saw Billy Martin one time, but I didn't actually talk to him. He had sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. He was another guy that I really wanted to talk to, but he looked like he was looked out of his mind so I was like I'm not the, I'm not gonna even, even approach Billy Martin. So I wanted to, but you know, sometimes mm. I I knew how to, you know, not make a fool out of myself, so I would you know, I'd hold back. But but Mickey was uh he was okay. He was okay. I mean he wasn't, you know he wasn't the friendliest
1: yeah. chap
2: in the world, but uh, it was fascinating, you know, being outside with me and Mickey Man was like you never know who I was gonna meet. I so, met the president out there. It was crazy.
1: So, how did you handle? In fact, you, I did
2: meet the president. You did? I worked Which, for Trump. Oh, there Trump you owned go. I the whole one time. So it was funny. Donald Trump. You know, he actually owned the hotel, and when, when he met right. Marla Maples, the Plaza. I want to go into that story. But yeah. I, I, uh, I actually was on Drew Carey with him and Marla and he came over to me and you know he made out like he knew me like we were best friends and i'm so <laughs> proud of you you made it kid. you made it <laughs> i was like trump <laughs> i was way ahead of the curb with trump wow so who knew that uh, trump was ever going to be the president
1: as you're trying to break into acting you know you had some some small roles in spike lee movies and you mentioned some of the plays um once you break it big on nypd blue it's it's one of the biggest hits on tv and for people who don't remember you know this is still back in the day early 90s when you know the three network uh model was still in effect i mean people were watching there were only three different things that people were going to watch on tv and if you're on a hit show everybody knows who you are how did you handle that sudden burst because nypd blue was very was very out front it was a hit right away and all of you guys became famous just like that how how was that to deal with
2: Yeah, no, that's a good question because uh, in a lot of ways, um, you know, here I was, this guy who was front and center. I was a doorman for 10, 11 years. I was a part-time actor for like three or four years, and I was doing very well, doing it on sort of like 50-50, and people were saying, wow, you're getting more and more jobs. You're getting better and better. I was sort of working up to a a point where I was going to say, well, I'm either gonna be a full-time actor and give this a chance or, uh, obviously I don't want to be a doorman the rest of my life. It was a lot of fun. So I had gotten a little taste of being in some movies, getting some notoriety, getting an agent. But the year before I got NYPD Blue, I actually got a pilot to CBS, it was a sitcom. And uh, I went out to LA, I remember they tested me and I was walking around in a padded blue leisure suit. and <laughs> It was a fun experience, it was a live sitcom. and. Uh, I had a great week, like a fantasy week. They paid me like, you know, big money to be in a pilot. Well, whatever it was, I remember it was like 17 grand. And I was like, oh, wow, maybe, maybe this is my big break. And then the show didn't go, didn't get picked up. A lot of pilots don't get picked up. So I figured, ah, I mean, that's probably my old, my Hollywood experience. Not knowing a year later, I almost didn't get an audition for NYPD Blue. We had to fight hard because I wasn't Hispanic and this woman would not let me in the room and but anyway, I got the audition and they made me wait months. They lied to me enough to finally give me the job. And, um, you know, and the money was really, it was not great at the beginning, but my agent, everybody told me, he said, listen, this show's gonna be huge. You have no idea. I really didn't go in with, I didn't even know how good the script was. I, I just was kind of going in like saying, hey, this is an opportunity for me. So I resigned, I gave up my job and, People were telling me, you know, some producers were like, you know, don't unpack your bad yet, kid, yeah. you know. You might get a year or two out of it. So I didn't know. I had seven episodes out of 13 guaranteed, which meant, really, I could have, if they didn't like me in the first 13 episodes, they could have gotten rid of me. They liked me enough to, to say, wow, you know, uh, we're gonna make you uh, a regular. I said. I thought I was a regular. <laughs> I was, I, and I, that's what I thought I was a series. I didn't really know. And then I wound up doing twenty out of twenty-two the first year. And the show just—it was really incredible because I had never seen. People were telling me this. publish this girl said, it, it, "It's going to be huge," and it was huge. I mean, I remember going to a Nick game with my brother that winter. I came home. And yeah, the whole world kind of knew John at that time. Yeah. But in a matter of months, because this show was being watched by everybody, not like network TV today. People don't even watch it. Yeah. Someone's watching it. But I'm saying it, it's not like you just said it. There wasn't HBO. There wasn't any of this stuff. And there wasn't Netflix. We were we were kind of the kings of the... You know, we were like the Yankees. We were like yeah. a championship team. Yeah. And that's why, I, you know, I was like... And I couldn't believe the... Like, you know, after the show, every Tuesday, the phone would ring, you'd go out, the, the whole world knew you, and people were noticing, and, um, you know, I, I think it was, a, I, I think I was so concentrated on doing what I was doing, you know, you get caught up in the hype a little bit, and you can be seduced by it on a certain level, um, but you don't realize how rare I think that might be, that you may never be in something like that again not to say you won't be successful, but it was a kind of a rare moment, knowing all the ups and downs I've faced in the last 20, 25 years. Those years were, were um, you know, it was a, an amazing ride and pretty like unbelievable, you know, going from here, you know, people knew me in the street to now, wow, all of a sudden I was like a celebrity or a household name. Yeah. And I'd only been working at it three or four years. I really wasn't, I wasn't at it for like 10 years. I mean, I had been at it a short time. I had gotten a lot of results, uh, which is impressive. Yeah. And I said, well, I must be doing something right, you know? So people were like, well, you're talented. But I think I was also developing myself on the show because, you know, I was learning while I was on it because I was, I was still new at it. I was still, I mean, I was still learning my craft because I more or less learned on the job. I had some training, but I didn't have the kind of training my brother had and other people had. So I mean, I was, it was hard to believe first year I was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. And uh, the show was a hit. Um, it was a special time. You know, I met my wife uh, later on. I mean, you know, so many things I lived through the earthquake. So many things happened to me. I mean, my whole life was like I fell in love. I was a mm. TV star. I almost got killed in an earthquake. Whoa. A lot of stuff happened to me, man. It was like really like a wild first couple of years, but exciting. I mean, in a lot of ways I go, wow, that was, that was my prime. You know, that which, was the prime of my life. Which now er, it's all downhill.
1: Which, earth, <laughs> which, <laughs> which earthquake is this, Nikki?
2: This is the 94 Northridge earthquake. That was like a. You know, seven but in my area it was like a nine something. Wow! It was a, it was a. It happened at four thirty 430 and four thirty one in the morning, and I almost got killed. Almost got killed. The building almost came down. I mean, I couldn't make out it, make it out of the building. I thought the building was coming down.
1: What? Uh, well, what happened? Tell me more about that.
2: Uh, it was, it was crazy, man. I, I, all I remember is it was like somebody. You know, you've, you've had bad dreams. Everybody's had nightmares. I'm still having nightmares. I mean, you know, you, you wake up screaming, yelling. This was for real. This was like somebody coming into your bedroom with a knife, or like, say a a, a, a truck comes flying into your bedroom. The, the violence of the shaking, I can't even describe what was going on. I just remember the sound of it, like something started. A week before, I remember watching a game in my apartment going, football game. Oh, we had a minor earthquake. I was like, oh wow, that's cool. I remember that day It was a balmy day. I didn't know what was coming down. But I I, I can't describe how it went side to side, up and down, like an explosion. I mean, you you know, I imagine people that when they they were in, you know, I'm not going to say 9-11 or something like that, but like, you know, when a plane hit, I mean, people must have been blown out of, like I was, my mind, it blew my mind, Sweeney, blew my mind. All I know is that I was on my hands and knees and I thought this might be it. I I didn't know if I'd make it out of there. I I didn't know what was going on. I was just hysterical. I crawled to like the hallway, and then when it finally stopped, I was like, windows, walls, everything was like, I thought the building was coming down. It was three stories, I was on the second. So I thought, you know, I just remember thinking, oh wow, I got, I must've got a second chance, you know?
0: Hmm.
2: I must've got a second chance, because I just thought, holy shit, man, this could be it, you know? it, it, it was frightening. I remember being in the street, 5.30 in the morning, and I was like, I, I couldn't, I was like, I guess we won't be filming today. You know, my agent <laughs> yeah. was like, yeah. I can't believe this kid. Oh my God, he just got here. And this happens. I'm like, welcome to California. And I was like, holy, this doesn't happen in New York. I'd only been here a short while, you know? And, um, you know, then he asked the shots for months and months and months. It was, it was, it was insane. Wow, it was insane. I mean, I've, I've, I, I can't even recreate it for you. But it was like, um, I, I could just tell you, you can't imagine what that's like, yeah. it's like anything when you're when you're in it, it's like when I almost drowned it one time, he's like, you don't know that feeling to you. So you go, Oh, my God. You know, crazy, crazy man, crazy. I, mean, I remember calling the, the producers and they were like, one of the producers lived in a different area. He was like, Well, what happened? I go, what do you mean? What happened? Where are you? Well, well, I'm in Brentwood. I said, well, I don't give a hell where you are. I said, man, I almost died. Man, you know, I almost got killed. So, um, but, you know, it was an experience that I'll never forget. You know, I remember I was in Life Magazine. They took a picture of me. And I was Hmm. like, David Caruso came looking for me. He was like, get out of the building. Get out of the building. I said, I'm just going back to get some clothes. Hmm. He goes, don't go in there. Do not go in there. And I was like, okay, okay. I was like still walking around in shock. I was in shock. You know, I was completely in shock. You know, it's just—it's when things like that, you can't believe that's happening. It almost didn't feel real.
1: Wow. Um, to bring it back to a little more happier memory for you, you got yeah. to—you got to be—you uh, get to be in all your glory as a Yankee fan in the late '90s. You're on TV and one of the biggest shows on TV, uh, and the Yankees are now winning World <laughs> Series like crazy. Uh, I'm curious, though, did did the World Series in the late 90s interfere with your shooting schedule where you didn't get to enjoy watching the games as much? How did that work for you?
2: No. Actually, 96 was pretty pretty special because at the time, uh, I had done these baseball commercials to ESPN. Uh, it was me and Abe Lincoln revitalizing baseball. I started making baseball connections. I had a lot of juice with the Yankees. I had some juice with Major League Baseball. Um so,, uh, we happened to be in New York the week of the World Series. So I saw the first two games mm-hmm. where the Yankees got blown out, twelve um, nothing, and then the second game they got like four nothing, four, one. And then that week, we were shooting exteriors while they were in Atlanta. okay So I watched all three games in my hotel room screaming and yelling. The producers <laughs> even heard one night on the floor they heard they said, "Holy sh, holy." Holy mackerel, that must be that, that must be that Nick. He, he must be going out of his mind because when they were down game, the great game was the game, uh, game four to come back with yep. the, uh, you know, the Jim Ritz game. And uh, so I, I was there that whole week in New York. So when they won the one nothing game with Pettit, I said, you know, I'm going to game six too. So I was there for the clincher. I got on the field. I lost my voice. I had, in fact, we were filming one day and I had no voice I had dialogue and they go Nick nothing's coming out because I was yelling all week and I was like and everybody was coming to me for tickets on the show all the stars ask Nick see if Nick can get see what Nick could do (laughs) all of a sudden I had all the juice and I was the man that week my team was here I was you know on TV you know with the show uh, 96 oh my god and then I got on the field I got they brought me in the locker room Cause Wade Boggs oh, really? knew me. We did a commercial. Tori did a commercial with me on ESPN. These, these commercials, if I ever found them, you'd die laughing. They were very <laughs> funny. They were funnier than the stuff ESPN's doing today. They weren't corny. They were well produced. Anyway, I had done, you know, a funny bit with, with, with Wade Boggs. I did a funny bit with Tori about stealing the grass. And Tori called up Steinbrenner and said, George, we had the, we had the guy <laughs> from the sod. You know, it was pretty funny. And, um, so it was a euphoric week. Not only did my team win, I was on a TV show. I was in the lot- It was almost like a fantasy, Sweeney. Yeah. That like that '96 year, that '96 team yep. in my life, and then, you know, I, I never imagined. I was just a, a kid. I, I mean, I was just a Yankee fan. I was just a hardcore. Regardless of that, I became an actor and 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 known. I was I was a real fan, uh, and um, so that was just a. Unbelievable week and an unbelievable run those years in 99 nine, two thousand. I really, I mean, there were there were great years of my life and great years. Has never quite been the same ever hmm. since then, and for the Yankees and for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
1: hope, I, I hope both. We I never, hope both of them get better I was for part you. of Mickey. that
2: magic and my life had magic going too. So it's weird, you know. You have a you have times in your life where, and then you know. Yeah, peaks and valleys. The Yankees have had their moments. They had a championship in 2009. It's like my career. I've like had my moments. But, you know, it's weird. But, you know, that's life, man. That's life.
1: Uh, you were, well, you were part of a dynasty once. That's all you can ask. Uh, I was. All you can ask. I
2: was part of a dynasty. You can't take that away from me.
1: So, uh, so tell me what you're working on now. You, you sent me a, a trailer the other day for uh, something called Over the Hill. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that and what else you're working on.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, I've done a whole bunch of like independent movies the last couple of years. I mean, a lot of smaller movies. I had, you know, I had been in a a bigger movie, uh, more cop two about a year or two ago. And I've done a slew of these like independent films. But I've also, the last few years I've been creating and developing stuff. I had a doorman pilot that I did on spec like a few years ago, four or five years ago, and I shot it in New York. It was kind of based on my doorman experiences and and it was interesting because I had, I had a couple of development deals with that doorman show. I had one at HBO and then I had one at FX with my brother. And my brother, who's more of a movie guy, was like, you know, listen to me, listen to me <laughs> and we'll get it made. And we never got it made. And then I wound up developing it, writing it, directing it. And, and, and it wasn't bad. It was, it was some good stuff in it. It wasn't perfect, but I learned a lot doing it. And, um, it kind of inspired me to, you know because i had years ago after nypd blue i had a couple of comedy pilots one at cbs and one at the wb you know and, and first the wb then cbs and one at the wb was outstanding It was like an all-in-a-family mm-hmm. and it didn't get on the air but it got me a deal at cbs and then the one at cbs i mean long story short i kind of got watered down so I, those pilots if they would have got on the air i, I might have had my own show and could have been like you know the King of Queens or yeah, yeah. everybody loves Raymond. I was I was very close to having my own show a few times, but you know, the way the ball bounces is, is, is not always your way. But I learned a lot developing those. So when I did the Doorman, I, I kind of you know even my brother goes, well, why didn't you use my script? I was like, well, you know, your script never got made. So you know, he was very, <laughs> he's always been critical yeah. of me, but <laughs> but he's he's also very supportive yeah. and um and 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 the show that show I didn't really shop it around a lot it it, it but it, it taught me some stuff and uh, like a year or two ago I met this guy Bentley Kyle Evans who was the creator of Martin and the Jamie Fox show. He's, a, he's an old sitcom guy okay and my son goes to school with his son and you know he saw one of my old pilots and he said listen I'm shooting all these low-budget sitcoms and he puts them on this smaller network called bounce television and they do well and he produces them and he shoots like 12 in an, in a month i don't know how he does it but he built these stages and he goes why don't we develop a show like a guy who's you know uh, not politically correct A guy who's you know, so i started thinking about well i did the doorman thing i learned a lot why not base it on where i am now and what's next and then it, basically the pilot is more based on like a guy who's in his 50s and he's like lived a life and he maybe he was on top of the world once and and now, you know, 57 years old, he's got kids, you know, he's, he, he inherits this pizzeria, with his, and, and, he, and he's like, he, he once was an actor. He, You know, it's kind of somewhat, somewhat based on me. And then he, he finds out he inherited this place, and he's like, you know, with his sister, who he can't stand, and he hasn't seen in five years. And it's set out here in the valley, he kind of moved out here in his 20s, and he's from New York. But um, it's more or less like a, a slice of life Dramedy—it's a comedic show, but a single camera. We wanted to do it as a sitcom, but I said, "You know what? That's not going to—I don't want it to be watered down. I see it more as a Netflix, Amazon. I see if I need to drop an F bomb, I gotta have some edge. I don't <laughs> right, want right. to be—you know—but uh, I, I think you know. I, we wrote it, developed it, and then then we shot it like a month or two ago, and now I've been tinkering with the the sizzle and the Bible because we're trying to sell it. And uh, the Bible would be like, you know, you lay out the next 10, 12 episodes. And, uh, and I've been getting some great response on the little sizzle. I'm adding another second sizzle. Um, I think it's got tremendous potential. My cousin, Aida eat is in it. Uh, Tia Carrera plays the Filipino wife, mm, and yeah. Bentley's in it. Uh, so it's multi multi ethnical multi, you know, it's got a little bit of everybody in it a little bit of race a little bit, of, you know, but I think it's a show that could be very universal because it's got it's got something for everybody, but it's also like says, you know, Hey, you know, there, 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 there's room for a comedy like this. And, and, you know, just because you're 50 something years old doesn't mean it's over. You know, uh, you know, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, this is a chance to reinvent yourself in a certain way and, and kind of, you know, um, so I, and I'm very upbeat about it. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, my mission right now is to try to get this thing sold. And um you know there's a movie out there too that I'd like to direct that we've been trying to get off the ground for a while my friend Mark Kriegel who's a great sports writer yeah. who you probably know of and
0: yeah.
2: uh, we got this movie Bless Me Father that we've been trying to get made for a long time and I think you know doing this pilot I saw that wow I could I could act and direct I everybody was like man you I was acting everybody's part out too it was weird I was like I was acting everybody because I I wrote it so I kind of know how I want everybody to you know, I, I know how what I'm looking for. You know, I have it in my head. And um I think it kind of, like, you know, inspired me to, like, say, like, fall in love with acting again, in a way. Because, you know, the last few years, I've been just doing kind of jobs, jobs. You know what I mean? Like, you're doing jobs to make money, to survive. And this was more like a passionate job. But when you do things for love, even when my career took off, I was doing things, maybe I didn't make a lot of money at, but they... They helped, they gave me that, that, you know, that zest again, that fire, you know, and I could tell I'm on to something with this show, you know, I don't want to just, you know, I'm not, I always give it my best, but what I'm saying is, you know, this is a a passion project and, you know, I'm looking for the, a nice, a nice shot here, you know, you got to get on the air somewhere, so, um, you know, everybody loves it so far, loves it, even my brother, who's a tough critic, (laughs) I think it's pretty good, I think it's pretty good, Nick. So, you know, listen, man, I, I've had my ups and downs, but I know there's nobody out there like me, so which is kind of cool, and, and I'm not overexposed, so I think it's coming. I think that next, you know, if this something like this gets on the air, it, it, will, it could help me also get the better, you know, because things are harder today. They're way harder, Sweeney.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's just, it's a different world. It's not always about what's good. Let me tell you, it's not always about what's good, you know, because, you know, reality television and it's saturated. I mean, you're like, you know, look at network television. There's a lot of, a lot of funny things on television, you know, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but that's just me, you know?
1: Well, Nikki, listen, I wish you lots of luck with this and I hope it's a big success and then you can come back on and do this again for me. How's that sound?
2: Sweeney, anytime, buddy. You're always a loyal friend and a good soldier and uh, keep doing a good job for the Yankees. And if you're your co-partner, co-pilot, <laughs> I'm always there for you, buddy. <laughs>
1: you're my guy. Thank you, Nick. The Yankees,
2: are, the Yankees are looking up, too. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about
1: them. They're on the upswing. You, know? you should be. We'll talk about that maybe later in the season. How's that sound? All right.
2: Let's do that again.
1: And my thanks again to Nick Turturro. Hopefully we get to see that new project, Over the Hill, as well as that film he's trying to make with Mark Kriegel. For those that don't remember, Mark Kriegel was a terrific columnist for the New York Daily News for many years. He's also the author of a tremendous Joe Namath biography from a few years back. Anyway, thanks to Nicky and hope to have him back another time. And thank you for listening as well. Check out our older episodes if you haven't already. You can search them on iTunes and subscribe for free. More good shows coming your way in the next few weeks.